Katie Russler is a transformative grief guide, licensed counselor, and author of the book, The New Face of Grief. She is on a mission to change how people understand the hidden grief in their lives and transform their pain into empowerment. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan, integrative life coach and self-care advocate for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey who are ready to lead healthier and happier lives and improve their emotional well-being. I interview coaches, spiritual explorers, and thought leaders from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. In this season of the podcast, I'm inviting you to lean into well-being. Well-being takes into account the entire person, body, mind, and spirit. It's feeling good and functioning well. It's experiencing positive emotions such as contentment and gratitude. It's developing your potential, having a sense of purpose, and experiencing close relationships. So help me welcome my guest today, Katie. Katie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for having me and creating this space where we can really start to listen to and do some of the inner work that helps us grow. I think that's pivotal. Now, I start off most of my podcasts with this question because the name of the podcast is Exploring the Seasons of Life. So I really like to get you know people's perspective on that. So what does that mean to you, exploring the seasons of life in your business or in your personal life? Well, for me, especially in my personal life, it's basically living life to the fullest because there are seasons throughout all of it. And it's easy for us to label them as good or bad um, and, you know, or positive and negative. But the reality is it's, it's all life, all of it. And, and we can and and in many ways should welcome all of it. So being able to explore the seasons of life is to look back and see how far we've come, what we've gone through, what we've, um, you know, what's grown us basically, and and the knowledge and wisdom that that's what will continue and that will help us grow. And in our business, you know, I think it teaches us a lot about ourselves, how we handle the seasons of life in our business, because there are ups and downs and there are um, really swirly moments of what's happening and why are we going this way and that way and and all of this is normal and the more that we can adapt and learn from it um, the more the seasons of life and season of, seasons of business really can help us become much stronger I believe. You know Katie I love that you use the word normal You know, because we do have those ups and downs, those ebbs and flows, and that's just a normal part of life. So I love that you use that. I I, This is something I address in my book, and we'll speak to it later, is that we often go through life going like, why is this happening to me? You know, that kind of victim mentality of things. And I just think all of it is here to let us grow. So there is no why is it happening to me? It's what is this teaching me? Where am I going to go from here? Yeah, that's the way I look at it as well, is what is this moment 
teaching me. And sometimes it can be hard to be in that moment and think that. But I just think that's a good way of, of looking at you know different things going on in our lives. But I would love to start at the beginning. So I think I saw this on your website that you went from physics and pre-med to psychology. So what was the, I'm going to say the impetus for making that change? <laughs> if my mom was still alive, she would be like, yes, that was a very hard time. Um, no, so I, I mean, I loved math and science and I still do. Um, but when I started my college program that first semester, I just realized that um, extrovert Katie wasn't the best fit for the physics department at my school. And um, yeah, I, I liked, you know, relationships. I liked interrelating. I liked, you know, observing people and communication. And I was taking a, um, a general psychology class at the time. And I just remember that teacher and me going, her, that's me. <laughs> That's a great reflection of where I see myself being and who I see myself being. Um, and yeah, so after that first semester, I called my mother and was like, mom, I'm going to change to psychology. And I knew immediately I wanted to become a therapist. It was like psychology to therapy. It was, that was going to be my path. I wasn't going to try to go research route or anything. I, I knew. Um, and that was hard because she, you know, in her mind, my daughter's going to be a doctor. And, um, and even though, you know, we had had family therapists and, and she was familiar with therapy and later very happy the choices that I made and, and could see why it was the natural fit in that moment. It was like, Are you, wait, you know, just try one more semester. <laughs> and I, I did, I ended up having to do the second semester cause it was too late for me to go ahead and switch. So I had all those classes knowing this isn't where I'm going anymore, <laughs> which was quite challenging, but yeah, it was, it was me leaning in and knowing who I was and what were core parts of my values and character. And could I do four years in a program that didn't fit that? You know, it's, it's funny just talking about, you know, what, what your, your mom would had said to you. I remember when my daughter was in high school, she was telling me all these things that she was going to do. And then one day she's like, I know, I know I'm going to be a ballerina. And I'm like, okay, okay, because I always supported whatever she wanted to do. And then she ends up getting her doctorate in inorganic chemistry. So <laughs> you never know which way they're going to go. So, so true. And how beautiful of you to just be like, okay, you know, here we are. Because we do change. You know, I my mom went to law school when I was in high school. So I got to see her become like go in a different career route like later in life. And it just reminds me regularly that even if you pick something at one point in your life, it doesn't mean you're stuck with it. And I, and I think that needs to change in our culture is the realization that we can grow and we can adapt and change to new careers and um, try out new hobbies and see if that's what we want to do. Yeah, I love that, that she went back to school when you were yeah. in high school. Was it in high school, right? I just think that sets such a positive message. Yeah, we both, um, we graduated one week apart from each other. So it was really cool. Oh, I love that, Katie. That's so sweet. One of the, the big, the big thing that we're going to be talking about today is hidden grief. And that really caught my attention because I had not heard that term before. And can you just talk about hidden grief 
what that actually is and we're going into the holidays so maybe how that can tie into the holidays um so grief we traditionally know is related to death uh but when we do a lot of self-reflection we realize we actually grieve throughout our lives for a variety of reasons you know it's changing identities um, it's health conditions. It's related to separation, end of a relationship, divorce, boundaries with family members. It's letting go of who we thought we would be or where we thought we'd be in our lives. Um, so we all actually face this regularly in our lives. And I find that once people start to recognize, you know, oh, I'm experiencing hidden grief, they feel like, oh, there will be a resolution to this. I won't always feel this nagging feeling because now I know there's a tool set to work on it. Um, And traditionally, when you look at disenfranchised grief or hidden grief, it's the grief that society doesn't deem as grief, you know? So it's the stuff that kind of makes us feel shameful or guilty or embarrassed to admit we feel. It's the type of stuff that people go, well, nobody died or it was just a pet or, well, you know, you're only six weeks along And those types of things where people really almost put us in our place for having sadness and anger and, and, you know, struggles within ourselves over it. Um, So my goal is truly to bring hidden grief into the light so it's no longer hidden. And we start to better understand grief as a tool for our growth, that it is very natural part of life because life is constantly about change, which means it's constantly about detaching, letting go, reattaching. And this is a beautiful progression, Um, but we tend to run away from it. So when we talk about grief during the holidays, it comes up in a variety of ways. You know, whether you spend the holidays with family members and some of them are difficult family members that kick up hidden grief from your past, childhood issues, teen issues, you know, if there are strained relationships that can bring up that hidden grief. If it's a a reminder of somebody who's not there and it doesn't necessarily have to be a death of someone, it can be a breakup of a relationship and somebody who had been there for like the past seven years and no longer are there. Um, And that's not just felt from the person who had the breakup. It can be felt from the family members who attached to that person. Um, maybe this is a time of year where it's, you know, it's very stressful. It's not happy. It's a reminder again of this a year, another year has gone by and I'm still not where I thought I would be. So I find that the holidays bring up a lot of hidden grief and it comes out as being irritable, easily crying, reactive, um, kind of just like on edge And you'll notice it'll start to happen even before the holiday, like, you know, even weeks before the holidays, you start to already get in that space because, you know, subconsciously we know it's coming. (laughs) Like the the hidden grief is going to rise up. And then you almost feel a sense of like, after the holidays passed, most people think it's like, oh, because the stress is over. But often it's because what we were having to face and be brought to the surface, we can go and numb and let go of again and, you know, hide from. Um, and that causes that sense of relief. So the, the holidays are a major time where I see it shows up in my clients' lives. And, and, and you know, I'll, to be honest, you can see it all over social media, the way people write about things, like that it comes up. And it's a time for us to be more aware of it so that um, we can be self-reflective on are we reacting the way we want to and how can we heal some of those things. 
So just to clarify, disenfranchised grief and hidden grief, are those are those yeah. terms interchangeable? Okay, because I had heard of disenfranchised grief, but not hidden grief. Um, and I was just going to make a point of, of what you were talking about is, because I talk about this a lot as well, it could also be a layoff or a breakup with your best friend. You know, it's it's so many things that mean a lot. And I just love the way that you were explaining you. Yes. that. I mean, you're completely right. Uh, you know, I actually had somebody um, challenge me once that the loss of her mother and watching her mom die was not equivalent to somebody having their house burned down. And I, I said, you know, first of all, all of it's subjective because if that person had lived in that house for 40 years and everything they owned was in that, all memories, everything, and that's burned down to the ground and gone, why would that not cause the same amount of suffering and grief as losing a parent? And so we often hierarchy grief. Well, it's not this and it's not this. So then you shouldn't feel the same as me. Um, but there is no hierarchy in grief. You know, we all experience it differently and different things are important to us. Yeah, I remember going to a therapist years ago. No, actually, it was when my daughter was getting ready to go to college because I was really having that empty nest syndrome. And as we were talking, and I said something like, well, this is, she's just going off to start her new life. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be upset about this. I shouldn't be grieving. And I remember him telling me not to judge my grief. And I just, I just loved that. I agree. So the definition of grief I like to use, um, and it's in my book, The New Face of Grief, is letting go of the way we thought life would or should go and learning how to accept how it is. And then the hope is from that acceptance, you start to allow life to happen as it's going to without the uh, kind of strangling it, it must go this way, or it must look this way. So that that would have or should have, that's tough to let go of. We're conditioned to have dreams and goals and a vision of how healthy and good and right things look. And when we have, we'll say negative feelings about it, when we have feelings of loss, we do beat ourselves up because it's like, well, no, I should be happy for them or this should, you know, but it's still a moment to grieve. It's an identity change for you and for her, you know, <laughs> for both of you. As we're going into the holidays, can we just talk about maybe two or three strategies that can help somebody, one, understand, oh, this may be a hidden grief that I need to acknowledge and how they, they can work yeah, so through that. As I was sharing before some of the like symptomology of the emotions of being more reactive, more irritated, more, more we weepy at times. When you start to notice like, ooh, okay, I'm, I'm feeling these things. You know, one of the biggest tools I remind the people I work with um, on is the power of going for a walk. Because going for even a 15, 20 minute walk, and when I did couples therapy, I would be like, you're in the middle of an argument. If you can get away, go for a walk. It allows your mind and your body to like ground. And you'll notice you might be walking really fast because <laughs> you're feeling a lot of things. But mindfully slow down your walk so that your, your mind actually can slow down too. And as you do that, and into about the 10 to 15 to 20 minute mark, you'll start to think more clearly. And you can ask yourself the questions, what's really upsetting me right now? 
you know, hey, this person said this to me and got mad at me for saying no to their holiday event and I'm all upset. But what's really upsetting me? Oh, wow, I feel like I failed people because I'm not strong enough to handle my grief and I can't be there the way they need me to. Okay, well, that's something that you can work on, right? You can be more aware of, hey, my desire to people please is what's being hit right now. But that doesn't mean I'm not worth taking time to grieve. Another tool um, I recommend highly is journaling because, you know, we, we got to get it out of our heads. So you go for that walk, you get clear thoughts, and then you go write it all down. And we don't always like to see it in front of us, but it's kind of like your to-do list. If you don't write it out, your brain feels overloaded and you feel more worn out like, oh my gosh. So looking at everything and going, these are the things I'm feeling. These are the things I wish I could say. These are the things I wish I could do because often we, we feel kind of in a prison when we're experiencing grief of like, I wish I could like just say no to everything and just stay in bed for the next couple of days. But we feel like we can't do that. And maybe we can't depending on um, your family situation. So being able to write that down at least and not hide it inside is really powerful. And I think the third is having that, I'm going to call it kind of a grief buddy, whether it be a professional that you go to and talk to, whether it be a friend who during the holiday season, you can just, hey, I just need to vent, listen to the voicemail when you get a chance, you know, whatever that looks like. I think that's really important as well. When you, when people are writing it down, and I'm kind of asking this for myself, to be quite honest, when people are journaling this out and they're writing things down, do they need to do anything with it or is it just getting it down on paper that now, is a release? I highly encourage people to check in after they've written it. Is there something in there I want to share with someone? Um, do I need to burn this? <laughs> do I need to like get rid of the evidence? Do I need to rip it up? Uh, am I just so angry that I actually just want to rip this up? And allow yourself the freedom to do whatever that feels like the next step. Now, if it's I'm scared... Really check in on what that is. But, you know, one of, a really neat tool to do with journaling, and, like, this is why all of these tools I'm giving you actually can be quite complex in a really good way. Um, but journal out all of the things and then take another color pen or marker and write out all the emotions that come up in each of those sentences because there's different stuff that comes with each. And then as you do that, you can see some themes. Wow, I'm really embarrassed that's the theme of what's going on right now. It's not that I'm angry at Steve or Jane. I'm embarrassed at whatever else. Um, I, I tend to tell people to kind of become their own consultants. Like look at the stuff you produce, you put out there and go like, okay, let's see these themes and what's this and what needs to shift and change or what can stay. And when we start to be a little more objective and see the full woods in front of us and not just the tree, I think it helps us to kind of activate the logical side of our mind to say, okay, these emotions are valid and here's some healthy ways for me to release them. And in the meantime, here's, you know, what I want to do next step. I had not ever heard that tip about going back through and using a different colored, you know, pen to circle those emotions. So that is absolutely something I'm going to do because I, I do journal. You know, that's why I was asking, do we well, do something so with I that? I have a friend um, who's an art therapist and she did 30 days of um, just doodling. And she would just every day just draw and sketch and whatever. And then afterwards, she would pull out the words and emotions that came from when she looked at it. 
Like now I've done this, let me look at it and what comes up for me. And she would write it all out. And I thought that's kind of the same as like when we journal and we stop and go, what's coming up for me? What are the emotions that are around this sentence that I just wrote? What are the, you know, that maybe I didn't write in the sentence, but now I see it. And so when you step outside from basically your art, which is what you journaled, and you start to kind of label things or group them, our brains like to group and classify stuff, then all of a sudden you have a better insight into what's going on for you. Now, you had a blog post titled Grief in the Hulk. And in there, there was a sentence that really jumped out at me. And it said, I made time for grieving and continue to live life. Can you just expand on that? I can expand on it by sharing a story from today. Um, So my husband's parents are moving out of their home that they've been in for well over 15 years and downsizing. And um, my husband was, we were over there today and boxing up the stuff he wants to from his childhood to bring home to our home. And I felt a lot of emotions. And, you know, in the moment, you don't always know what they are. So again, you take that time and you kind of go, okay, what's going on for me? And I realized I feel quite robbed of being able to do this myself. My mother died four years ago. And in a matter of two weeks, we needed to clean out her home and put it on the market to sell because I live in Europe and my brother lived in another state far away. So there wasn't time to just let it sit and we figure out what we're going to do. So I had to get rid of a lot of my stuff from my childhood and my teen years quite fast and be very strict with myself. What can I put in the suitcase? What can I box up for my aunt to keep and what's like, what's realistic? Um, And so watching him pull out everything and go, I can't wait to show our daughter this. And, you know, we have three kids. So like this one for her and this one for her. And and I'm going, my children will never get this experience. So I was feeling this grief amidst, I've got to go pick them up from their art class and take them to the birthday party or the school project group or, you know, and be present with them still and not be reactive and take it out on them. So for me, you grieve while also living life by being aware of what feelings are coming up and creating little pockets of time. I had about 10 minutes where I could talk to my aunt about it. And I was upfront with my husband and he's really amazing at sitting with me in those moments. He's, he's read my book, so he's learned how to do it, but he, you know, going, I, I would feel the same way. I completely understand. Um, and To feel that and to go, okay, well, I know I have this grief. And later at the end of the day, when all the kids are in bed, I can journal it out. I can express it. I don't have to right now fix it, which is our society. It's like, I feel something right now. Change it. Like, no, this is grief that will be there. And it is integrated with me. And some of it's coming to the surface. So this is why I like in the blog post, and it's actually in a chapter of my book, I talk about. Um, when the Hulk is asked, like, what's his secret? Like, and he said that my secrets, I'm always angry. So my secret, I'm, I'm always grieving. So by doing that, by always feeling some level of grief, and it's not something where like every day I feel sad. It's, you know, it's not a level like that, but I can tap into it every day. You know, there, there, I went through a lot of losses in the last few years. And so if I want to, I can feel that, but I also know I can live life too and still have that be present. And it doesn't mean I can't feel more joyful. If anything, I feel way more tuned into life 
way more grateful and appreciative for so much of what I have and, and um, where we are now from where we were and things like that. Um, but it means allowing it to be there and be a part of your life. Katie, I really appreciate you using that very vulnerable example because that does that does provide almost a picture, as you described it, of what that can look like, you know, making time for grieving and still continuing to live life. And myself included, I don't think we always make time for that grief because sometimes going back to hidden grief, we're not we're not acknowledging that hidden grief. It's easy not to make time. It's easy to be busy. It's easy to escape into our phones or watching something on television. All of those things are easy. And they don't take negative, usually negative emotions. But grieving, yeah, it doesn't feel good. So it makes it easy to go, oh, I have other things I got to do. I don't have time for that. I'll deal with it later. I find the more you do that, the more the health conditions come, the struggle with sleep, um, the in, you know unhappiness in life in general. And for me, I'd much rather face it in my day-to-day or my week-to-week than to put it off. Well, while we're talking about, about the grief, and you use the word grateful as you were talking, can we become grateful for grief? Or is that not the right question? I think question? it's an excellent question, and I believe we can. <laughs> um, you know, it's just like anybody becoming grateful for a negative event that happened in their life or something they've deemed as negative. Um, Maybe something was taken from them. uh, Maybe something ended and being able to reflect back and go, I'm really glad that happened because now I see it's kind of like watching our lives as a movie. Now I see the end. I see why this had to happen. Right. I think being grateful for grief is a tool for our growth. I, you know, that's such a, statement I stand on and and it makes many people uncomfortable because it's like grief doesn't, you know, I don't want it to to be the tool for my growth, but it is. (laughs) It is just as those difficult and challenging events are because grief is what encompassed all of them. Um, So when you can really start to uh, see grief as that tool for growth, as that ability to transform pain into empowerment, you're grateful for it. It doesn't mean it feels good. You know, I I remember a while back learning that like good isn't always the same for everybody and that good isn't always like what's for our best, what is for the good of us or the people doesn't um, always mean that it, it's like rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> it's also challenging and difficult. It is, um, I think about um, like in Australia where they set fire to the land to bring in the new fresh um, uh, plants and things and allow the animals to have this new foliage. You know, we, we need that. We need those fires. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good. Uh, and I, I hope as people are listening to this, I, somebody once said, sometimes it's like toxic positivity that you're talking about. And I'm like, no, actually it's called healing. And when you get to that place where you can be quite healed from the experiences you've had, you see that they're actually needed and the grief is needed. You wouldn't get here if if it wasn't. I remember doing a certification program about 10 years ago. And we, and part of it was, and during our homework was writing about 
what we learned and, and whatever our shadow was. And so I was writing about grief. And this was all for myself, but I remember being so angry while I was doing that, you know, writing all that out about the lessons that I learned. But there was a lot of lessons I learned and becoming resilient and, you know, compassionate and all those things that I consider myself was part of going through that um, exercise, yeah. going through the And grief. rightfully so be angry. There were probably dreams and things you thought would happen that had to be removed and maybe not even in your control removed from your life. So I think often when we start to feel anger around grief, we're like, you know, oh, this is going the wrong direction. But that is part of grief because we we have that almost righteous anger that we are in the right for that anger. We are allowed to feel this anger. As long as you recognize it's not something you have to break something or yell at someone or, you know, do something negative with, that you can feel that anger and create outlets that are healthy for it in recognition of, it's a bit of a tantrum inside that's happening because things weren't the way, you know, why did I have to have these lessons this way? Why did it have to go this way? And that's, that's a bit of a tantrum that we're allowed to have. I, I truly believe adults, we're allowed to have tantrums. Um, we just have to be careful, I guess, how they show. We can't slam on the ground and start, ah! everyone will think something's wrong. But internally we do our own tantrums and they show up as, reacting to people and being irritated. And, and like you said, writing those things down and getting really angry inside. That was a tantrum going on inside. It needed to happen. Yes. Well, this is a perfect, this is a perfect time for us to go ahead and talk about self-care while we're grieving. Because again, I'm going to, because I'm going to say this again, because I do think that people don't allow themselves to, to grieve. And you've done a great job just talking about making time for for um, grief and continuing our lives but how can we practice self-care mm-hmm. from your point so of view for me it's making time even if it's 15 to 20 minutes daily to just check in with yourself um, if you don't even have that amount of time it, then it's the two minute check-in closing your eyes turning everything off around you in a sense um, I usually put my hand on my chest and sort of just rub because often we need to kind of love on ourselves too and going, you know, what do I need right now? And actually listening to that voice rather than hearing it and being like, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't want that. I mean, I even do it like, what do I want to eat for lunch today? And if it's something I can do, then I will. If it's something like, ah, I can, you know, I'm not able to find that right now or I don't have the time to go get it, then it's what is around along the same lines that would help my body feel nourished. Or if my mind is like, you know, often as you know, like behind a computer screen or behind your phone, your eyes start to really hurt. And I'll say, okay, eyes, what do you need right now? And it might be just close me for five minutes, you know, (laughs) like close your eyes. So self-care can be as simple as that. The other thing about self-care is that it also is things like simplifying your schedule, saying no to people, uh, planning ahead, stopping and preparing for the next day. People don't think of that as self-care, but think about the outcome of not doing those things is anxiety and stress and anger and beating ourselves up. And so self-care can be looked at as those loving, sweet, 
tender moments, you know, if you want to bubble bath and painting your nails, and it can also be the things that make your life easier. So you feel more calm. I'm going to, I'm going to give an example of, of just planning ahead. I used to not get gas when my needle was getting down to the empty. You know, I'd kind of like, I don't know why, I just kind of like, oh, I can get it later, I can get it later, I can get it later. But then I'd be almost empty. I'd get up the next morning to get to work, get to an appointment, and then I'd have to stop and get gas. And I'm like, ah, I've got to stop that. Just do it the night before and be prepared. Completely. But it's something so simple. Completely. And I often ask myself, why is it so important for me to put this off? And what does it say about how I see myself? You know, like, what am I kind of saying to myself by, oh, you're worth the stress. <laughs> like, you're worth just stressing out tomorrow. I, I've had to come have some, like, real, you know, moments with myself of, like, what am I telling myself by continuing to do this? Uh, I'm, I'm the worst of that as well. I, I've gotten better at the quarter mark being like, okay, it's time. We're going. <laughs> but it's simple things like that if we kind of reflect on why we add more stress to our lives in ways we can make it better that we learn more about how we see ourselves or how we treat ourselves. And then when we want to be treated differently by others and we're angry when we're not, it's a good time to reflect, well, how am I not doing these things? Yeah. Can you talk about the power of community in grief and why it's so important to have that, that community around us? Um, so there's a chapter of my book that is about um, isolation versus solitude. And in grief, we all need to get in our little rowboats and go off to our own little island and have our inner time. Like we all need that. But there is a point where it starts to play mind games that nobody cares. Nobody's around. I don't matter. Instead of the reality is I rode off to my island for isolation and people are being respectful of that. And now it's time for me to communicate. I'm ready for support. So when we already have a community um, of grievers or support in our grief, they get it. And they're able to uh, help you in your communication of what you need, help you to feel normal in those times of like nobody cares and to lovingly say, is it that nobody cares or did you pull away from everyone and they're giving you that time and space you've asked for? Or they got tired of writing you all the time or calling you and you not answering. There's a point where rejection hurts and people stop. So a community can hold us accountable. It can help us grow. It can help us see a different side perspective of things. But I think the biggest thing is to just normalize and validate what we're going through, what we're feeling, a place that can hear us. So I think community is extremely important. I find often though that the communities that many of us attract when we're grieving aren't always healthy. And so we can get hurt because when someone maybe is leading that group or creating that community who hasn't come from a place of healing, but has come from a place of I'm still wounded, but I need this, we can hurt each other not intentionally at all. So if you're in a, a community that's, you know, you you came to because you're in grief and you find, wow, this isn't for me, it doesn't mean that another group will be like that. 
it helps you to discern better what you need and what you don't need. Um, you know, when I have led groups in the past, especially like I used to do grief during the holidays, um, like a support group, I was very upfront from the very beginning on the page to register. This is not a come and vent. This is not come and, you know, like all we're going to focus is on the negative stories. It's going to be tools, resources, a, a space for you to share what emotions you're having and to share the story appropriately but not a place to just continue to stay stuck. So if that's what you need, and some people need that, this isn't your community. So I, I find that it's really be honest with yourself what you need in that moment or in that, that time in your, your grieving process, and then seek that out versus, oh, they're all grieving or it's a grieving support group, so it must be for me. Well, what are they grieving? What are the people in the you know divorce Grief is going to be different than child loss grief. Um, sure, a lot of the emotions will be the same, but some of the stories and the nuances, it's better to be with others who've had that to go, oh, I was thinking that the other day too. Oh my gosh, thank you. Set me free from like the guilt I was feeling. So we, we need to sort of find the communities that resonate with us um, and be okay saying, this one's not working for me anymore. Or this season of my life, you know, here it is that I'm exploring the season of my life and I don't need this support group anymore because I've grown and I'm ready for another chapter. That's okay too. You know, I really like that you're talking about discernment and be and asking yourself these questions about what you need in a particular season of life because you are absolutely right. And one of the, the most impactful groups that that I joined at one time was all around, you know, grief around losing the mother. And that was impactful to me because it was like you were talking about, everybody really was talking about the same type of grief versus having, you know, child loss or, or divorce or something mixed in with it. It just, it meant a lot to me at that time. There is value in others who have walked a similar path for sure. What's the biggest surprise you've had in the last few months oh, and why? Um, so as I shared, I've, I've got three daughters. The youngest has just now gone into nursery and she's going to be two in January. And so uh, my mornings are free now and um, up until early afternoon. So I've been able to get back into my work in the way that I enjoy. And some of the biggest surprises are projects that are coming through and um new ideas and new ways to support people. Um, things I would not have imagined even, you know, a month ago going like, yeah, this makes total sense. <laughs> Here we go. Um, you know, that's the beauty of this season of life is when you open up space and you, you're ready for it, that opportunities come um, and you again have to discern are they right or not for you. But yeah, I would say that's some of the biggest surprises right now is, is um, new ideas and, and new potentials for the next year. How can people work with you? I mean, you have an amazing website. So how can people work with you or, or follow you on social media or really? Yeah, so you can find my book it's called book. The New Face of Grief. Um, you can find that on any online bookstore. And in fact, you could go to a, a Barnes and Noble or Target and say, I want you to order this and they will, they can order it through their system, um, have it printed and, and sent to you. Um, you can also find my website, katierustler.com and on there, click on work with me 
I do free 20 minute connection calls and I'll put that, um, I'll, you'll have that link as well uh, here. So we can just chat and see if I'm the right fit and supporting you in the journey of life that you're in. Um, and right now I'm doing 90 minute, what I call um, mini a soul spa sessions. Cause I really feel like when you do hidden grief work, it really is like a spa day for your soul. Like it's like that deep tissue facial cleaning where you're like, it doesn't always feel good in the moment but afterwards. You're like, huh? Um, so my sessions I see being that way. So if you wanted to try one of those, a 90 minute session, we could do that. You can follow me on Instagram at katie.rustler. Uh, I'm on Facebook as well. So we'll make sure those links uh, you have to be able to share with everyone. And last question, what would you thank your 18-year-old self I for? What my 18-year-old self for? I think I would thank her for being so, sounds sorry, being so cheerful. I remember 18, like, just enjoying life. Like, being happy and dancing and singing. And, um, and it sounds silly at 18, but childlike in that way that I've been able to continue to carry that on throughout adulthood and enjoy life in a, a different way and enjoy life with my kids. Um, I don't see too many other parents in like the neighborhood dancing with their kids outside like I do with mine. So it's, it's like still embracing, you know, back then I embraced it and I didn't care. And I think that has stayed with me. And so I'm, I would say thank you for, for being that person stepping boldly where not trying to be the cool kid, and, and uh, that that stuck with me. Oh, I love that. Just dancing and enjoying life. Because not everybody yeah. gets to do that at 18. So that's awesome. Katie, thank you so much for being a guest. I really thank appreciate you. Thank it you from for the having me of my heart. asking all these questions. And I really hope those who've listened really take something away from this and can really grow. Thank you. All right, friends, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I truly appreciate it. I have partnered with doTERRA Essential Oils, and just one of the many reasons I'm so excited is because it's in total alignment with the podcast and the topics that I am passionate about. Topics that encompass the human experience, self-care, stress management, resiliency, grief, and our emotional health. And I love, love their uncompromising commitment to purity and being a company with a conscience. I truly feel this is a beautiful fit with my mission to serve and support women in every season of their life, beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. I'm also doing this for my overall well-being and want to share my journey with you as I rediscover the benefits of essential oils. Contact me to get started on your journey. My email is cindy at cynthiamacmillan.com. Thank you.